Hi, my name is Eric. And I'm Shalila. And this is Are You Still Watching? A podcast about movies and their place in our culture. And today we have the first episode of a very special new series segment. I don't know what you do call things for podcasts. What do you Sub-series? what's the word? What's the Sub-unit? what's the vocab? Subunit? I like subunit. That's the one that really rolls off the tongue. Uh, we have a uh, a new the subunit K-pop. <laughs> of uh, of our podcast uh, that was uh, born out of uh, an episode that we did on the uh, original Mulan animated movie uh, in preparation for the live action one, um, in which we talked about the fact that Shalila has never seen Disney movies except for at the time of recording half of Bambi and the movie Bolt. I love that you remember it. I do. It sticks with me. <laughs> it's scarring news uh, for him. Yeah. Well, meanwhile, uh, I'm on the opposite end of the spectrum, which is that if I had the money to do so, I think I would be one of those annoying people that goes to Disney all the time that people make fun of on TikTok. And the only thing stopping me is that I don't have money. Mm. So, yeah, it, it's probably a good thing. Like this might be a, a that's a, a good obstacle in my life. Uh, so we have decided to do a little uh, uh, an adventure, uh, and starting with today's movie, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, we will begin exploring uh, all of the Walt Disney animated movies, all the way up to I assume present. Uh, by the time we finish this, I'm sure there'll be more. So that'll be a fun yeah. little cycle we have to worry about uh but yeah we're gonna do this like intermittently uh in order to get shalila to explore these things but for me personally the reason i'm excited for this is because the mulan episode was fascinating for me as a person who has seen that movie many times and in theaters i think uh and has thought about it and read about it etc but i still carry like my childhood viewing with me and and i you know it's sort of like i have like a completed thoughts on it so to then be presented with Shalila's fascinating takes as someone who'd never seen it and all these interesting things I'd never once considered, uh, it was really, I don't know, it was like very, very entertaining, but it was also very like, almost like humbling. I don't know a better word for that. It was just kind of like a feeling of like, you know what, maybe there's a lot more to be explored in these than I think there is because I am sort of too, it's like I'm too close to the the, the trees to see the forest, if that makes sense. Sure. Uh, yeah. So that's why I'm excited to to undertake this venture. I'm glad. I'm I'm glad that you see some potential in doing this again because my two fears were number one, you're going to just get really bored seeing all of them all over again. Um, doesn't sound like that's going to happen. And nope. I also was and still am a little afraid of essentially being just not having had any time to sit with them after watching them. I think these movies require, I don't know, 15 years of processing and we're going to get about <laughs> 15 minutes because I always watch them right before we record. Yep. Um, but I also kind of like that because I think you cover the entire spectrum of the like the, the nostalgia, the, the having sat with it aspect of things. And I can talk about it like it's a movie that released in 2020, which... Which is super rare. Which is like, interesting. That's like, and that's what I kind of like about it is like that's a very rare perspective and is it's pretty hard to get now. Like it, it's hard to get somebody and say like what do you think of any – really any Disney movie. Uh, right. What do you think of it and try to divorce nostalgia from it or try to divorce marketing from it or or childhood connection or anything. And uh, I, I, that's why I'm, I think this is going to be really valuable in a way. 
to me anyway, is I like that you, in a way, I like that you do it like 50 minutes before the podcast starts because <laughs> it means you have this, it's almost like I'm talking to you as you walked out of the theater. And I really yeah. like, like I, I typically, I think we've talked about this on this podcast where I generally feel like I have two waves of reviews that sit in my head after I watch a movie, which is I walk out of the theater and that first 10 minute period of me walking out and sort of like sitting in whatever I'm feeling from that final scene or whatever I was thinking during it, that's review one. And it's often not in line with what comes later, but it's, it's, I think it's honestly the most emotionally true at times, or if my first thought is like, oh God, that was awful. Like, that's because I'm being sort of truthful to myself without talking myself out of it. And then later on comes like, you know, perspective and, oh, well, I guess that was actually fine. And all those things that kind of sneak their way in. So I like that you have that fresh out of the theater take. This is going to be very exciting. No, I, I couldn't agree more. I think between us, we have the sum total of human reaction to film. So, <laughs> there we go. Yep, there we go. That's the selling point worth. of our podcast is that we have the sum total of human reaction. <laughs> yep, I love it. So I have a, a starting question for you that has nothing to do with Snow White. I, okay. I'm just sort of curious about this because of something you just mentioned. Um like you said, you were a little bit worried that I would get bored having, you know, rewatching these movies again. And I really can't emphasize enough how not true that is. And, and I'm, tr uh, part of me was sort of like, I wonder, I've never really thought about that fact. Like, other than Disney is one of the greatest marketing companies that's ever lived and has just gotten their nails inside of me in a way that I probably will never get out of, uh, why else do I return to it? Like, and fairly often, I'm not saying I watch all of these all the time, but in the scheme of the movies that I watch in any given year or will return to just for the, either for the pure enjoyment or for whatever, I'm in a bad mood or I'm in a good mood, you know, little things like that. Um, I sort of think of them as like the movies, like my favorite snacks, like that's mm. these movies for me and I will return to them and put them on and they're very, they're there and some of them are nostalgia. Uh, I think the Renaissance movies largely because if they came out when I was a child, but I'll even return to these older ones just for the pure enjoyment of it. Um, and I was trying to figure out why. And I think the, the first thing that I have is I think I just really enjoy animation. And I've learned as an adult that there's a lot of adults that just don't. And I, I didn't, as a kid, I feel like you, I guess I assumed everyone was into them because cartoons, but it turns out, no, like a lot of people don't like animation as a, as a medium. They're just not... They would rather watch live action as a way to tell a story, and I fundamentally don't understand it. But it's interesting to me as someone who doesn't experience that. So I think part of it is I just honestly enjoy animation. I enjoy the artistic component. I enjoy what you can do with it because it's not live action. There's often a little bit of – there's less creative uh, constraint in a way. So what I am curious about is I was – chock full of animation as a child like you know cartoons movies etc you have told us that you did not really watch the disney animated movies as a kid what i'm curious about is did you have animation exposure at all uh is that like a component of why these weren't as big for you is was animation just not big for you or what, what exposure did you have at all to children's animation hmm. i think animation was about as big a part of my life is maybe the average child. Um, I wasn't hugely into them. I think it would it would just have been like ninety five percent cartoons and five percent movies. Um, didn't just really didn't watch that many animated or any kind of movies as a kid. It just wasn't a huge thing that I did. Um, but definitely cartoons. 
So one of the one of the things I was going to bring up later on when we talk about Snow White actually was how much and how often it just was so reminiscent to me of old kind of jazzy Tom and Jerry episodes. That yeah. was the literal only parallel I could draw in my head. I was just like, oh my god, this is like those episodes I used to love. It's beautiful. It's the same exact vibe, the same music, the same style, and the title card will pop up. Um, but it reminded me of that. So I definitely had something to draw on. Um, I don't have any deep associations or deep kind of love for animation from childhood. I just kind of grew into it over time. I just, I do love and appreciate animation, but I wouldn't say that that comes from childhood nostalgia. It's just kind of an overall appreciation for me. Okay. Interesting. I, that, I that's why I was curious as I, I'm sort of trying to do like a larger, not very scientific, you know, uh, a case study questionnaire of like trying to figure out where people especially people in my life who generally don't like animation like is it because there just wasn't a lot of exposure or is it is it something else like is it a is it just an age grouping thing and you know most people i'm talking about or thinking about are a little bit older than me uh but some of them are are very few of the people that i'm thinking of are exactly my age like i'm gonna say like a late millennial they're either uh uh, sort of Xers or they're younger, like Gen Z people, like born after 96 and especially after the year 2000. And that's what I'm sort of curious about is like, is it, does it have something to do with like the movies that were popping up or the cartoons that were popping up? I don't really know, but I would like to, to explore that in a casual way. Uh, because I, again, I just don't understand it. I, I feel like I was always in animation. It was never not a part of my life in either cartoon form, TV form, movie form, whatever. Um, and I, I, I don't really know where that comes from. Um, maybe it's a family thing. Like you said, like if, if you, if only 5%, like you said, were coming from movies, I'm assuming that means it's because your parents weren't really showing them to you or taking you to them, which I yeah. would assume is a, a product of not being interested. So Maybe that's part of it too. Is I just had my dad and my my grandfather. Strangely enough, was uh, one of his favorite movies was Cinderella. Once we get to that, which I always thought was very for a so gruff old Air Force Mexican grandfather who he just loved Cinderella uh, to no end. Like he would always get very emotional about it. Um, and that's what, like I'm kind of curious of like I wonder if that's just where that comes from. Is all the older adults in my life were chill with it, so it was sort that's of inescapable. So my parents are decently with it. My dad is pretty pretty much with all of it. <laughs> my mom is selectively with it as a concept. Um, but I don't think my parents would recognize the names of like most Disney movies. I think if you, I'm pretty sure they'd know what Snow White is, probably Cinderella, but I don't think they'd even know what The Little Mermaid is. Like if you just said that, they'd be like, I don't know. Gotcha. I'm pretty sure that's that's their level of familiarity. And they're they're extremely with it <laughs> in, in for the most part. I just think Disney is just so not a thing for them at all. I don't okay. think they would even know any modern Disney movies. It's just not I, a thing. I want to come back to this. This is actually this was this was going to be my surprise uh, twist question for you, uh, or or topic for you, because I, I think it's a, a product, not necessarily related to Snow White, but it's a, a topic I think we should bring up because of it. Um, so I want to come back to this. This idea, like you, what you just said about the fact that your parents, you don't think they would be able to say this is a Disney movie. I want to oh, say that. Even, even if I said Snow White, they would have no idea it's Disney. There's just yep. no association at all. Okay. I want to come back to that for sure. Okay. But to begin with, uh, I'd love to hear what are your what are your thoughts on Walt Disney's Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, the first ever movie from Walt Disney Animation. I'm very excited. Okay. Well, 
we can essentially start diving through what I'm saying into the fact that I have just a very deep appreciation for this being the big first one that kicked off Disney's animation empire because I didn't know that. I really didn't know until today that it was the first one um, or even that it was significantly older than the others. I kind of had absolutely no idea of the timeline. I think if you had asked me like three hours ago, I would have assumed it just came out like, I don't know, the year after The Little Mermaid or something like that. I have just mm-hmm. no idea of the timeline. So I didn't know, first off, that it was much older than the the average Disney movie I'm thinking of. Um, and second, I didn't know that it had such a special place in the history of the company that it, it launched this like respect for their animation company and this, this standard for what they can deliver and obviously represented just a leap forward in what you can do with animation on film and with sound and with emotion and, and rela- relatable characters and music and everything. I didn't know any of that. Um, and obviously a part of my appreciation for this movie came from just how purely fantastic it is. It's obviously a really, really, really beautifully done movie, and I thoroughly enjoyed it while watching it, but then also I read and watched some stuff about all of this history afterwards, and it just doubled my appreciation for the movie. I think this is one of those situations where knowing the story behind really does build a lot of your appreciation for the art, and um, there was no love lost in the beginning either, obviously, a gorgeous movie, but I'm just sitting in this cloud of like admiration for what they did in 1937, which is a year that I have just, it's just like a fake year for me. It was just so long ago, I (laughs) didn't know what they could do. Um, But I was very fascinated by how freaking good it was. It just feels like I would, if I was watching, like if say I went to like India for a vacation and I mean, Indian animation is obviously fantastic. There's no like country, like issue here or anything but sometimes um traditional indian religious animation like kind of like a, like a indian myth um i'm going on a tangent here but i promise it's it's related um sure. but there's a lot of like there's a lot of like old a lot of my animation experience comes from these specific animation animated versions or adaptations of old hindu myths so like kind of like the equivalent of like biblical stories being adapted or yeah, like, yeah, uh, yeah you know um so a lot of these old movies that they made for tv that we would watch and they were just like really good classic myths of like heroes and things like that um and this feels like if they would make one of those today it would still be the same quality as snow white like i don't know where i'm going with this it's, it's both the fact that it relates very hard to that animation style and second that honestly this doesn't even look that old to me <laughs> like i watched snow white and i was like i wouldn't question it if this aired on tv today i'd be like okay it's a little rough but I wouldn't be like, damn, that is a retro right. film, which is, that's just high, high praise. Um, that was a lot, but that was a jumping off point. So basically this movie rules and I'm very excited about it. <laughs> no, I think that's great. Uh, I'm also glad that you just brought that up. I was literally just trying to explain to Alex the other day about those cartoons and comic strips that are like basically that explain like famous Hindu myths and that it was like a way yeah. that is taught is through like these the the comic books and the cartoons and she didn't believe me and now there it is proof uh <laughs> we read those for some class once and uh i was it just seemed like such a good way to do it like i don't know a better way to say it it was just like i was sort of like we would read through them for some class in college and i remember watching them and watch and reading it and thinking like the only equivalent i can think of in america even though it's not necessarily the same idea but the only equivalent is like veggie tales and it's just a wildly different concept. Like, it's not even... 
close to like I guess I couldn't understand why it wasn't how has this not been successfully done elsewhere and it was such a confusing feeling anyway uh but there's the proof that it exists so I uh I completely agree I think the animation is is beautiful um I the only not like not like a disagreement or anything uh, sort of like a hesitation the only the the issue that I have the only issue that I have at all with this is I don't know what this movie looks like when it came out because the only version that we can watch now is the remastered versions right that have I mean and, and that's not to say that they can take it and like it's not like they literally redid the movie so it's that's still that has nothing to say against the art, art direction in general the staging the light like all of that is still there and it's beautiful but part of me wishes that and I think you can find the old trailers on YouTube but part of me wishes that I could see it on film like I could see uh, an original film reel of, of any sort in order to kind of get an idea of what it it would have looked like in its sort of untouched form kind of in the way uh, this is going to sound like a tangent too in the same way that if you unfortunately now if you go back and try to watch the original Star Wars movie it is almost impossible to mm-hmm. find the one from 1977, it it See, doesn't that's exist. Exactly what I was going to bring in up. a yeah. in a purchasable way. You can't do it. Um, there's various uh, alternatively legal methods <laughs> to find the movie uh, on the internet, but it is um, you can't actually buy it and watch it. Which means that whatever you're watching is it's been messed with. It's been digitally altered. There's scenes that have been added. It's been color corrected and. There's there's part of me that that sort of longs for that original uh, originality of it, if you will, because there's I, I think I like um, it's almost like I like grit. Like I, I I don't need a product to be super shiny when it comes to me if it's an older thing. Like it, it's okay for there to be some some proverbial dirt on it because that's a product of its age. That's a product of the time, and I kind of want to see that. Like I, I want the, I don't know if that makes sense, but I, I want the whole thing. I don't want you to, I don't want you to give me a, 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 a fake product, like a product that you've touched up and then say, please enjoy this. I want to enjoy the real thing. So um, that's the only, that, the only sadness I have with it is I wish that we could see the original because it is so beautiful um, in a really, in a way that it feels like they're, they're not quite doing animation like that anymore. And I, again, that's probably just stylistic changes and everything else, but it is very interesting to look at in comparison to modern movies. I had never even thought of that. It's kind of like playing the Switch version of Super Mario 3D All-Stars instead of playing the original 64. There you go. That just came out, right? They just re-released yes, a bunch of the, the, the Marios. And I, I remember seeing people complain about things with um, Sunshine, I think, in the water, where they were yeah. like, it's it's there, but it's not quite there, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I, I don't know. I, I don't know if there's like a... I did that that gets into a much longer tangential discussion around <laughs> who owns art and who gets to mess with it and the efficacy of that and the ethics of it and et cetera that I don't know if we need to get into right now. But I think as a general rule, I, I hate what Lucas did with the movies in general, but I also have a kind of a feeling of like, well, I mean, it's his thing. Like <laughs> he gets to do whatever he wants with it, I guess. Like it's, he was the artist. And if he decided, you know, if Da Vinci decided that the better choice was to paint a mustache on the Mona Lisa, then that's his right, I guess. Like, I I just don't have, like, a better way to say that. Like, it's, they're the painter. They get to do whatever they want, I guess. Um, 
I don't have to like it, right. but I, I sort of respect their agency to do that. I think it bothers me more when it is a corporation messing with something. So, you know, uh, you and I talked about this on an, on a podcast a while ago, I think, where some of the, the movies on Disney Plus right now have been altered. Yeah. Um, and there's that one mermaid movie with uh, Tom Hanks where – uh, they like elongated the hair of somebody, Nicole Kidman, maybe, uh, in order to like cover her butt yeah. because it used to be there and now it's not. And uh, is that important? I don't know, but it still kind of bothers me. It just gives me an icky feeling of, I kind of don't want you to be messing with stuff. Uh, then Super again, <laughs> yeah, then again, here's the, the flip side of that. I don't really want to watch a super grainy, not able to be looked at on a big TV, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, because <laughs> the TVs are so much larger and they're so much better uh, quality that if you take a movie that is like, it's not even whatever, 480, it's 72, and you put that on a, it's just going to be big blocks of blur. So I guess on the flip side, I also understand why you need to like make things high definition. Just, I don't know. Don't mess with it, maybe? I don't really know. I appreciate that. I learned a lot just now. Yeah, those are the I, rambling thoughts. I agree thoughts. with you for the, for, <laughs> for the record. I, it's just, There's no right answer there. <laughs> like, who owns the art? But also, I want to see the original version. I want to appreciate it. Well, uh, I don't, you know, this, this, uh, let me ask you this. I think Snow White, let's get back to the actual movie itself. <laughs> I think Snow White often gets a little bit derided uh, as A, being boring, and B, being the uh, most egregious example of Disney's hmm. um, poor portrayal of young women and uh, specifically their princesses. Um, so I would love to know your thoughts on that. I will start by, I will sort of kick that off for you by saying, as far as the boring part goes, I truly don't understand that criticism of it. Um, I don't know if it's just a product of different tastes that change over time. Like it is... Obviously, like if I were to, you know, my 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 twelve year old sister stops watching Frozen, and then the next movie I put on for her is Snow White. It's just a drastically different flavor. Like it's not there's it's it's slower in the beginning. The the all of it, like you said before, there's like a title card. It has a sort of um, grandeur uh, and a, a, a almost like you're watching like a play or something. That's that's a little you know it just takes a little longer to get to. So I guess if that's where that's coming from, then I understand why that might be – it might be hard to watch that if you're not willing to or you're not used to any sort of uh, aesthetic treatment that's similar to that. But as far as the movie itself goes, I don't understand why it's been labeled as boring. Like it's such an interesting I, – I love the – like it's very over-the-top dramatic of like starting from the castle and going down to this very tiny cottage and then it builds itself back up again into this really dramatic climax, like, you know, lightning bolts on mountains and uh, just very, like, dark and, and driving operatic music. And I, I, I never understood why it was labeled boring. I, okay, I have 400 thoughts in my head. I'm going to try to say <laughs> them all and not talk for 400 minutes. Um, so the first thing I want to say is step back. One of my, like, little... I don't know, one of my little hang-ups about this, about how my brain works with this series is that one of my first reactions to these movies are never going to be actual reactions to the movies. They're always just going to be me 
trying to see how much of the stuff that everybody already knows and has known for years and years and years did I actually pick up on. Like, I'm always surprised by the most basic stuff. And then, I don't know how to explain this. Like, like I watched Little Mermaid and I really didn't know at all before watching it that any percent of that movie took place on land. Like, I did not oh, think gotcha. that any amount... Like, I really thought it was 24-7 under the water, except maybe, like... Right. Like, you know, Spongebob style where they show, like, one person for sure. like, comedy purposes. For, anyway, I thought it would sure. be like that. But then that was not what it was like. And that was surprising to me. So I'm always I'm always interested in my reads on these movies as to whether I picked up on the stuff that people have known or have, like, analyzed about this movie all the, all this time. So when I was watching this, the, some of the things that came to mind is obviously animation is beautiful. Um, wow, what poetic storytelling. And then the two specific things I thought were, hey, I could see how this movie could be super boring to somebody if they wanted a lot to happen because a lot did not mm. happen. But I didn't think yeah. it was boring at all. So woohoo on that one. And then the other thing I thought was, damn, this is where the really, really problematic portrayal of princesses come in. And then also yep. you said that one. So all <laughs> yep. of this to say, I killed it. I did it. Yeah, um, you, you did it. I managed to you read this right. Um, yep. But to actually address what you were saying, um, I completely agree with you. I do not think this movie is boring in the least. One of the things I learned from reading about the history is that when they were making this, this was going to be like by far one of the longest like narratives that was just consistently animated that they were that they would be releasing at the time and a lot of people didn't think that Disney would be able to hold the theater goers or the movie watchers attention for over an hour mm, of fully animated storytelling like there was a sure. real worry when they when they uh, started talking about the runtime of the film that people said I don't think your people would want to watch animated storytelling for that long so the reason that they decided to focus really really hard on this film being a piece of art like for the, the characters to be human and to be empathetic but also to be kind of wistful and dreamlike and to strike that perfect balance and the reason that they needed the movement to be really fluid and, and realistic and for their door for the dwarves to have like distinct personalities and for the sound to be really dynamic and well matched all of these things needed to happen because they needed to hold people's attention and the only way to do that is is for people to connect with the characters and they were like if they're just if they're just stereotypical dwarfs like they're just like people walking with small legs and it's not going to mean anything as opposed to them having characters like them being the proud one or the bashful one and the sleepy one um then that's going to be that's going to mean something um but also they didn't want it to mean so much that people would compare it too much to a live action movie and then get bored the other side of things like they'd be like oh i wish this was just live action so they didn't huh. so they, they tried really hard in every single scene to like um mimic the camera movement of a live action film but then do something that a live action couldn't do like the vortex thing with the the evil queen and then go back to doing something that live action would do so they tried really really hard with every shot to strike a balance that would keep people from getting bored so they would keep them pulling them in with the with the wistful animation but also say i hope you're not thinking about live action right now all of this to say i think they did that perfectly like they nailed it yeah nailed no it i agree really really hard it's a beautiful movie and the joy of this movie is it's not like you don't watch animation because you want like 12,000 things necessarily to happen. They can. 12,000 things happen in Spider-Verse and it's amazing. <laughs> but also like four things happen in this movie. And the whole point is it's like beautiful, magical realism. And it just feels like that comfort food of film, you know, where it's like you watch like a 15 minute sequence of just um, a Snow White and Dwarfs dancing around and playing music and, you know, just, just dancing. That's literally all they do. And it doesn't feel long at all. It feels perfect. It feels like they've taken that 
time to animate like the quirks of like a cuckoo clock or the way dust will blow around when you clean a house or they're just so effective at capturing a mood that you feel like it's worth spending 20 minutes watching that happen slowly because you are transported to that place you're transported into that feeling and you get to return to those simple times when it's a dreamlike sequence and you really feel the fear and the horror and the wonder and the love and it's just such a testament to the fact that classic storytelling is timeless and all of this to say I cannot believe people were bored watching this. What is boring about this movie? <gasps> <laughs> that was so eloquent. Uh, I don't I don't want to follow up with it. That was just so <laughs> well said. That was wonderful. Um, damn, you killed that. Uh, yeah, I don't have anything else to add as far as that goes. That was beautiful. Uh, other than to say I concur. It is, it's not boring. Uh, I guess, I, I again, like, I'll give it this, I guess. It's, it is absolutely a style that is no longer in the zeitgeist. Like, it is not the, it is not the current flavor of what animation is and, and, <laughs> and sort of what I would assume children expect things to be. So, I, I sort of presume that if I show this to someone, to a kid who has seen a lot of current animation at the age of six, they're, they might be bored because how come it's not X, Y, and Z? Like how come all of these other things aren't present? But I guess part of that is just making sure people are exposed to lots of different art styles early on. Like as in, it's not like a, it's not like an objective thing that it's boring. So maybe that's, right, right. maybe that's it. Um, I, I agree. I think I think I would be more surprised if by by a grown adult or somebody over the age of like sixteen who has that complaint. I, at that point, I think you're just yeah. being you're being sure. deliberately tough <laughs> on something that's. I mean, you have to adjust your expectations. Right. Right. I, I think I think what's really interesting is that it's a testament to the fact that it, the like what ha what's changed over time is that. So it's like better technology doesn't really guarantee animation that touches you any more than it used to. You know, like what's what, what's really changed isn't just the crispness of the animation tech; it's the complexity of the storytelling that we can do. Right? Like we don't need to struggle with like seven different layers of of drawings and layer them unless we want to. We can do more. Um, but but being able to balance that that complexity with the crispness is kind of the tough cocktail that Disney managed to get right, and that's why you can see in this movie why they became the animation juggernaut that they are. Right? And I just think. I think if you watch it and you see how they do that balance, that's more of the takeaway than how much is happening or how did they do everything. It's just it's just such a it's such a sparkling example of how they still get that balance of storytelling right to this day. Like it doesn't speak so much to what was possible. It just shows what they can prioritize. It's right. just, I, it's beautiful. I don't I'm saying a lot of words, but I just loved I loved how they did it. I, I got oh, entirely their philosophy as a company from this movie. Yeah, I, actually, I think that's, uh, I, I completely agree with you in that when I watch this movie again as an adult, and I, I'm sort of, I almost want to divorce like current Disney from old Disney, the company, um, like older. I completely agree with you. I, I watched this for the first time as an adult, like as in rewatching it and thought, I, I understand why Disneyland was a big deal. Like, I get why people all over the world would have been like, we got to go to that. Mm. Because this movie so exemplified that philosophy and the level of, like, detail and care and thought that it just, it immediately rang to me of, like, yeah, I get, I, I can understand why my grandfather would have had his young children with him and would have, like, I, I don't think they ever went. But, like, I'm sure that would have, I, I can understand the mindset of, Disney's actually opening up essentially what what is I would assume at the time especially comes off as like they're going to take that philosophy and they're going to make it material for you. 
I can't imagine the kind of excitement that would have generated of like, man, I can't wait to do that. The only thing I can think of in comparison, which is going to sound very strange, I do not really care about this very much. I don't have a lot of connection to it, but I know a lot of people are, and I get it to a degree. When they announced that Nintendo was finally making a Nintendo Land, I think in Dubai, people lost their minds. And I kind of get it in this same way. Like that, if you grew up feels, with the SNES, yeah, yeah, and it just feels very similar to me of this because they have done such a good job, kind of similar to Disney, of all of their products over so many years, uh, especially their their big ones, especially their flagships of Zelda and Mario, etc., of showcasing not only like easily marketable, great commercial, fun, etc., but also keeping like this tone and this attention to feeling that I get why that would be such an exciting thing for someone to hear that is actually going to be made tangible in a world that I can actually step into. Um, th- uh, even if it's not something I'm that connected to, I get it. It uh, that, that to me reads the same way. And that's, I, that's exciting. That's gotta be exciting for Nintendo fans. And I feel like that's the only thing I can think of that's relatively similar to, uh, to what it must have been like when they they opened up Disneyland and basically like you uh, guess what you remember Snow White we're gonna do that except you can sit in it and be in it and that's that's that must have been exciting so um yeah that was a lot of rambling but the point is no I agree one hundred percent it must have been exciting so let's now take a left turn what are your thoughts on uh, go go to your point number two what are your thoughts on it being the uh, Sort of like the the proto, the the proto devil of uh, <laughs> of bad, especially representation for young women. Sort of, and there, there's lots of points that have been brought up about this movie in relation to this of um, basically things like lack of agency, um, even lack of speaking roles. She she doesn't speak that much in the scheme of things, not yeah. as much as some later problems like Sleeping Beauty, but um, she's very young. I think she's 14. Uh, if I remember correctly, um, I don't know if that, I don't know if it really comes across in the movie, but I think that's the point. Um, you know, there's essentially either the very fair, beautiful young woman, or there's the vapid, murderous stepmother. And those are like mm-hmm. the only two options, et cetera, essentially. Uh, and the final one, which, uh, as much as I can and have any place to have a take on any of this the final one which i think drives me the most nuts which is the criticism that the prince's kiss at the end of the movie is an example essentially of uh of like um um harassment or like sexual assault because she's asleep uh again as much as and or dead as much as i can have a take on this that one drives me nuts i don't know why it just i sort of like a I feel like as grown-ups, we can all understand a uh, fairy tale versus not. I, I don't know that that maybe that that's it. Uh, I I think there's fair criticisms of like maybe that's not a good thing to be showing to a bunch of little children, especially uh, young girls all over the world all the time. Totally fair. Uh, could we have a conversation with them then? <laughs> like in other words, I don't think that means the movie lacks value because of yeah. that 
three second bit. That's my that's really my only take on it. But I would love to hear your thoughts on on this aspect of Snow White. I love when this happens when you ask a question and then you when you answer it you say all of my thoughts. <laughs> it's great. Um, I've never successfully asked a question without having uh, two minutes of preamble ever. It's good. In and, person and then on the it's podcast, the yeah. same thing that I'm thinking. No, I. I mean, I, I don't think that I don't think it's debatable in any form that this isn't a great representation. I mean, sure, it's true. I don't. I don't think anybody's gonna watch this movie and be like, "That was so much better than I expected." It's not. It's not great. And that's fine because of what you said at the end, which is my entire thesis, which is that this is a fairy tale, and also it was 1937 and. Right. Also, when they wrote this movie, they were working on it for 15 years. So it was 19, 15 plus 7 is 22 when they started writing this movie, which was even earlier than 1937. And actually, fun fact, Walt Disney got inspired to make this movie when he saw a live action production of um, Snow White when he was 15, which was in the year 1916. Again, old um all of us say man it was a different time i really hate when people say that but sometimes that's just true like i'm not saying that that's why they should keep the story the same forever but i'm saying that's right. why we can't be like still writing film essays or whatever about how this is like a shocking like it's yeah man it's bad like game of thrones is bad <laughs> so i don't know right um, right you know i but i obviously i agree with all of that like i think we could you really could if you wanted to go on forever because it's it's insane to me it's like a little shocking still watching it like even having adjusted your expectations to have her like the song that she's singing constantly be like when will my prince come and everything but here's the thing man even if you want to pretend it's not a fairy tale like this is a story that really happened or and or can happen she like you said she's very young she has clearly lived uh, captive with no social interaction with one very 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 evil person so basically alone with an abusive stepmother um and you can see at the beginning when the prince approaches her that she physically runs away because she does not know how to interact with a person um and who is not an animal so this this is a like this isn't how like the average 14 year old would react to the world um i would hope that every 14 year old girl isn't being held captive by by an abusive person that's that just ideally is not how the world should be so (laughs) she clearly does not have many social cues or preservation instinct and you know what like anyway there's a lot there's a lot of question in this movie um, about her characterization I think it's not so much to talk about this movie I think it's more important to talk about how that kept happening (laughs) in the in the future ones Um, because it's fine man like obviously this isn't a great movie for in terms of agency but it's kind of not a great movie in terms of agency for anybody like the prince is in it for like four and a half seconds i think um like i forgot about him until the end and then every and then the the dwarves are also just like like nope this isn't like these aren't real characters it's a fairy tale like it's magical realism they all stand for something it's like it's the same same level of logic as interpreting the bible literally like it doesn't make any sense right. you don't do that so i don't think that the the value in, in, in analyzing how the portrayal was done comes from analyzing this movie. I think it's just like the precedent it's set and how 
much, and here I'm guessing as well because I just haven't seen the future ones, but how much they've refused to diverge <laughs> from that. For the, You're right. <laughs> not great. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I, yeah. I think I just, you know, and I do think it's very funny though. This is just a, this isn't a complaint. I mean, whatever. I don't have to complain about this movie. But I do think it's really funny that when she like invades the dwarf's house and is just like vibing there and then they come back and they want to kill like the monster who's invaded or whatever. And then they don't, but only because she's hot <laughs> and they make it really yeah. obvious. Like they're just like doing yeah. it her. And it's the same energy as like um is like uh, nick winston and, and schmidt like drooling over cc it's the exact right. same energy that i was even reading. though they can't stand that she's there yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like but she's pretty <laughs> yep i'm with you so i okay, think that's, that's my answer no i, I that's great i that, that is uh i i feel like you you hit it sort of right on which is like, yeah, you could spend a lot of time on it, but it feels more valuable to say, what about all this stuff now, though? Like, in other words, but it's been 83 years. So to me, it's almost like the problem isn't Snow White. The problem is, why did it take until the movie Moana to have a movie with a Disney princess that didn't involve a love uh, a love story at all? Like, no love interest. Um, it literally took until whatever that was, 2017? Yeah. That's a long time. Like that's that, that eight, well, that's exactly 80 years. That's that to me feels like the bigger issue than like <laughs> well, Snow White is really obsessed with a boy. Like, well, yeah, sure. Pro- yeah. <laughs> like that's not like an un uninteresting or bad story, but maybe in the 80 years following they should have tried to do a different one then. Um I think you kind of hit that right on. I also think I as a kid I very much thought these were adults and even watching it now I still think that they are somewhat coded to be adults or at least uh, um, maybe maybe a better way to say that is it's not immediately obvious that they are children but I think something you just said is really important like he thought about this when he was 16 this is definitely a story about uh, it's a child's story. Like it's, it's the story of a, of a child of a young girl running off on this magical adventure and her prince who, again, I don't, he's not supposed to be an adult man. Like he's, my guess is he's probably 16 year old Walt Disney is, is, is probably the, the, the author inserting himself. Like it's, it's the story of children running off and having a romantic adventure with magical creatures in the woods and, the evil queen who also having watched this as an adult, like there's no way she's not like 25. That is not like an, like a old woman. That is a young, that is a person who has a child. I was like, she's 45. She's, she's almost dead. And as an adult, I'm like, Oh no, she's got all of her life ahead of her. Like again, like it's, it's sort of like a, it's a very childlike image of the world. And that's another reason why I think this is always these, these criticisms in a way have bothered me of like, this is a this is a story that is told by a essentially it is a story being written by a young boy. What 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 other way did you think this was going to play out? You know, like in a in a <laughs> and that's okay in the eighty years since maybe we should have done something different. So absolutely, yeah, I'm with you on that. Uh, okay, so now we come to everyone's favorite part of the podcast where we talk about uh, stupid stuff in the movie instead that doesn't actually matter. <laughs> um, why is Sneezy, one of the dwarfs. Here's my take on this. I'm okay. so excited. <laughs> Pretty passionate about this. 
So here's the thing. So we have Doc, who, by the way, Doc is not a personality trait. Doc is a profession. No. So I don't know what to do with that, but whatever. Like, he's the one in charge. Great. Uh, Then we have Grumpy and Sleepy. I I get those. Like, someone who is sleepy. You're just a sleepy person because whatever. Uh, Grumpy, that's by far the most accurate thus far. That's a personality trait. You're a grumpy guy. I get it. Happy, happy guy. Bashful, totally on board. Sneezy. That's just a person who has allergies. And I don't, like, having allergies isn't a personality trait. It's it's a thing that you do, but you also have all these other personality traits. Where's the rest of the personality traits? I would argue even being a sleepy person is a personality trait. Like, I've known people who are just sleepy. That's their whole thing. They're sleepy. What the hell is Sneezy? He's got asthma. I don't know. That's my point. As an asthmatic, I want answers, all right? Because my dwarf's name would be asthma. And I do, that's not my personality. It's just a thing that I suffer from. And I feel bad for poor Sneezy. Uh, I should probably feel more bad for Dopey because there's a lot of problems with that in the modern Man, day. I have so many issues with that. <laughs> it's certainly a problem. But you know what? I'm still stuck on Sneezy. I can't get to Dopey because I'm stuck on this hay fever, red scare uh, uh, character. Uh, and that's it. That's my current and only take, I think. <laughs> Physical tears in my eyes. <laughs> oh this is the kind of intellectualism our listeners have come to expect. More. Oh yeah. I mean, usually this is the stuff we kick it off with, but this time we made yep. them wait. So I, I really like that for us. It yep. represents growth and evolution. Yeah. So any any takes on oh, the dwarfs man. from you? Man, so here's the thing. When I was, uh, I do, and it's the same thing as yours. Uh, it's just I, I would love to know the person who wrote the original tale. What was going on there? The bro- is it the Brothers Grimm? It's them. Yeah, I don't think the dwarves have personalities in the Brothers Grimm, though. I don't they think it's like Doc Grumpy, Sleepy, Sneezy. About, like, That's only Disney. Grimm I think. Brothers. There was probably like murder in this story originally, and like probably <laughs> yeah. like incest and other horrible things. Yep. So I don't know if they had the time to come up with weird names, which means nope. that someone at the Walt Disney Co. is responsible for this. And yep. I would love to know whomst. Because it's, I'm with you. I My nitpick was just poor, poor dopey um, ref. That was not... So <laughs> there, there's, well. a, there's a couple of these, and I there's a list of them online somewhere that I think... It must have come from a behind the scenes where you can see a board of the names. But, for example, here's a list of just a couple. Uh, there was apparently a pool of 50 potentials, including Jumpy, Deffy, Dizzy, Hickey? I, is that like a hiccuping person? Is that what that is? Because that wouldn't play today. Uh, Wheezy, Baldy, <laughs> Gabby which I guess is someone who talks a lot, but that's just a name. Nifty, Sniffy, Swift, no E, just Swift, Lazy, Puffy, Stubby, Tubby, Shorty, and Burpy. Only like three of those to me fall under the sneezy problem. A lot of them are, they still are like uh, acceptable to me. <laughs> There's a this couple of like them. you learn like, about the names of the Pac-Man ghosts and you're like, why? Yeah, yeah. Um, I always found... It disturbing when Dopey put the diamonds on his eyeballs as a child. 
Oh man. And they turn into I have nothing else to say about eyeballs. that. Terrifying. Yeah, it just terrified Terrifying. me. Yeah. It it freaked me out. And it also because the diamonds are not flat, they're very 3D. So he's pushing them pretty far into his eyes and that just scared me as a child. Yeah. That's it. I don't really have any other <laughs> I don't have another take. Um yeah, do we have any other stupid things to say about this movie? Uh in the end, I like a. I like everything about the Evil Queen. I think she's great. Um, I like her voice acting. I like her design a lot. Uh, uh, the the scene of her cauldron is just an all timer. Like I love the creepy smoke coming out of it. All good. Um, and of course, her as the the old crone is is. I mean, it's a classic and has been redone a thousand times for a reason. Um, I like how they kill her by pushing her off a ledge. If I remember right. And, yeah. and that's it. And that they do it by writing forest animals. And I don't really know why the forest animals are into it. Other than that, I, I get that Snow White was nice to them and everything. But the dwarves just start riding deer in this like massive final battle where they push the queen off the ledge. And she just kind of dies. Uh, and I, yeah. I, you know, I, that sucks for her. I guess I expected more from her. I expected a, 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 a more of an enchanted style thing where it's like, oh, She's a dragon. Nope. She just dies. She just falls. Okay, so I have a response to that. I have a pushback. I love this. Okay. Um, I love disagreeing. It never happens. Let's hear it. Okay, so <laughs> I there's two things from the, th- the three old Disney movies that I've recently seen for the first time are Mulan, The Little Mermaid, and that's a spoiler. We'll do it at the time when it comes, and uh, Snow White. <laughs> And through these movies, which, again, are just three of the, <laughs> the eternally loved classic animated movies, I have come up with two specific things that all of these old, tiny, animated classic tales seem to do that I freaking love and I wish would come back. Like, I just, I, I just think we should cancel all of animation and bring those two things back. The first thing is, in an animated movie that's not scary at all, like a perfectly pleasant made-for-kids movie, when they have one or two truly to your bone chilling terrifying moments that anybody of any age gets scared looking at like when they have like the evil i forget his name the evil guy in mulan when he like his eyes are glowing thank you when he's like glowing in the dark or he appears in the roof and you're straight up scared you're just terrified as an adult um and and this movie had one of those every time i guess the old crone was just like suddenly appears and is just staring yeah and she turns and and looks at the camera Yes, Ooh. she looks directly yeah. into your eyes, and yeah. it, and it just stays, and her eyes don't move. Nothing moves in the frame, um, yeah. and and you can imagine also at that moment. I think it, you can imagine being a fourteen year old child alone in a house. Also, Snow White is a complete idiot for admitting that she was alone at home at that moment. He was like, <laughs> she was like, where are the dwarves? Oh, they're out. Oh, sad. Oh, come on, girl. No self preservation instinct. But um, <laughs> anyway, I think we should bring back perfectly pleasant looking movies that have one inescapably terrifying moment um because i think it really it just it cements how good their villains are um second i actually really love how in all these movies the big baddie seems to just die in about one second after like half an hour of planning (laughs) like they just go they're like oh it's done and you like look away to pick up your drink or something and you put it down and they're dead dead and i like this for two reasons number one i i think that it, it, it removes the ability for them to do that stupid thing where they'll give some dumb speech and then you're like, why didn't you kill them during the speech? Or something dumb to elongate it. So I like that, that that doesn't happen. Like, I think the shock of them dying, dying is nice. And secondly, I, I like it for the same reason that I hated how Voldemort dies in the last Harry Potter movie, which is like, he like 
you know, the whole, like, whatever wand switchy thing happens with Harry, and then he, like, flies into, like, dust, like, Thanos-style. Yep. Like, he becomes, like, yep. he evaporates into powder or whatever. Like, his skin starts flaking. And I hate that because the whole point of the series is, like, Voldemort wants so freaking bad not to be a... Uh, what's the word? Like... He doesn't want to be a regular human. He doesn't want to be fall prey to the whimsy of like being immortal, and he just wants yep. so bad to defeat death that it, it's the most insulting thing about how he actually dies. I guess in the books is that he falls to the ground like a normal human, like dead as a person, not as like a mythical being that he wanted to be so bad. Which I hated because in the mm, movies they made it look like he was bigger than he was. Like the evil was something else, and in, so and it's evil like no, but he was mortal exactly. But like he is mortal at the end of the day, and I so I like when they have like a human death or a death that's quick and like final because it's kind of like you tried so hard to be more than you were but evil is still always just one person wanting to be more than they are so i really like when the the death is quick because it it portrays that really well for me interesting i love this pushback that is very interesting um wow that is interesting i i had never thought about that for harry potter a but b for any of these that is a very interesting way to look at this, that they are all basically defeated by simplicity almost. Or by their own ambition, you know, like they wanted yeah. to be so much more and then they fall off a cliff and it's like all that plotting and you couldn't plan. Well, so th- th- that's what I was just about to bring up. But honestly, maybe you just answered that for me. One of my confusions, not, I don't know if confusion is the right word, but in a lot of the, the, the Disney movies when there's essentially the, you know, defeating an evil villain sort of a thing. A, this movie begins a long and proud tradition of the main character not actually being involved with the finale at all. Like, they're not actually a part of solving the problem. (laughs) They're either asleep or gone or Ariel's just kind of nearby. Like, they're not actually... They don't have a direct hand in it. And what I think is interesting about that is, especially in comparison to the modern versions, they don't have to do anything to win. Like they, another, what I'm trying to get at is they don't have to change anything. So the finale of the Snow White is not dependent on the dwarfs having learned some lesson. It's not like they mm. learned how to be friends and then were able to defeat the Evil Queen. Nope. They just kind of at one point they were like, "Hey, our friend's dead. That sucks. Why don't we go round up the forest cavalry and kill her?" And then they did it. Like it wasn't a product of anything else. Um, uh, spoiler alert for things that are coming, but uh, the Prince Philip in Sleeping Beauty, he doesn't have to change anything about the way that he's living his life in order to defeat Maleficent. He just is successful eventually. Uh, Prince Eric just drives a ship in Ursula. Like, it's not like Ariel has to um, learn to get her voice back in order to do it. It's not like she has to give up her, her dreams or she has to be truest to herself. They just kind of do it. That's it. <laughs> like it's just like eventually the I movie like decides. Like well, now now well. you got to do it, um, mm. and that's very different than the modern versions, right? Moana has to recognize that uh, basically uh, con- being her her stubborn sort of constantly forward moving self and bashing herself against uh, Taka is not going to to defeat Taka. It turns out she actually has to engage in essentially. Uh, healing in order to solve the story. Uh, Elsa has to uh, come back and be in love with her sister and uh, whatever, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? Uh, uh, Entangled, you have that like big sort of change at the very end um, with the hair. And again, like all these are dependent on lessons being learned or Mm. growth in the story. 
And I think it's interesting that these movies, most of the classics, it's just that the, when the movie's ready to end, it ends. Like, it's it's like, we're well, we're at the part where the villain needs to be defeated, and thus the villain will be defeated through some larger, mm. you know, shot. Uh, but what I think, what I was going to get at was, I don't have a good explanation for that, except for what you just said, which is an interesting way to look at it that I never thought of, which is maybe there is a lesson in it, and it is basically it's about the um the simple humanity of the people that are engaging in the defeat like it is their simplicity and their their uh a simple movement forward that is what they're actually trying to convey and that's what ends up defeating the giant dragon witch the evil queen uh, uh alchemist and the giant uh uh uh, uh sea witch right like these sort of larger-than-life grandiose villains are brought down by very simple acts by very simple people. Guy in a boat, dwarfs on a deer, guy with a sword. So I don't. maybe that's actually the secret sauce to it, and you just solved it for me. I actually love this maybe. because I think there's a two very strong, equally strong uh, arguments for, for and against both of those things. And I think we'll probably find a movie in the middle of all of this where we feel that the best balance across all of them was struck between these two things. But I think that's, I, I fully agree with what you said, and I actually had never thought about it that way. That it is a little frustrating if in the process of the simple death, simple in quotes, that they don't really show that anything has been learned on behalf of the people p- carrying out the death because the, right. then what necessarily was the point um but I, I like i like both sides of that i also think it's equally important not to stretch it out just for the drama so interesting yeah, we yeah. should keep an eye out for this like the movie that does the best balance between a meaningful death but not an overly like an unnecessarily dramatic death I, well i wonder I'm, I'm unfortunately i am not a learned enough individual to know whether or not this is a product of of what these things are based on. Like if it, if it's a product mm. of certain types of fairy tale or, um, you know, uh, certain genres of myth. Like for example, uh, I don't know that much about the Brothers Grimm to be totally honest, but my general understanding of them is in usually their stories are very, very steeped in lessons, right? Some kind of a mm. warning or a lesson to be learned of, hey, don't run with scissors, German children, or else this evil elf will eat you. Um, but, I, I don't know enough about the actual, like, the way that they were written or the way they were being told in terms of, like, is that how it is in the original, too? Like, do they just eventually defeat him because that's th- that's not the point of the myth? Like, the, the actual point of the fairy tale has nothing to do with the evil queen being defeated. That just is a product of story. So that's why it's there and there doesn't need to be a lesson. Um and I don't know, maybe, like I said, maybe that's like an, a legacy component of certain types of fairy tales. And this is living in that in a way that I'm just not aware of because I don't actually, uh, I haven't read enough of these in sort of like an original way. Because um, that's entirely possible. Like, I feel like we are very trained by current modern narrative and three-act structure of film and things like that to look for and understand, ah, here is how the character arc has successfully allowed them to overcome the obstacle. But maybe that's not always the case as in maybe that's not always a feature. And when that's not a feature, then it doesn't matter. I don't know, but I'm curious. And so I'm very quickly reading through the original story, which um, is obviously much longer and more complex and has all some of the elements that we know off just through the zeitgeist of snow white stuff, like the whole like lips as red as blood and like prick your fingers and that kind of stuff. Um, You know, that, you know, you know, that stuff, right? Mm hmm. 
Yeah, so um, yep. obviously there's a lot of that, um, but it appears that she dies in a completely different way. Um, she um, So Snow White is revived, obviously, by the prince. Um, I'm cutting out almost all the detail, obviously, but she's sure. revived by the prince, and um, she and they get, they get married, um, and everybody's invited to their wedding, everybody in the land except for the stepmother. For, for 10 years, the stepmother believes Snow White is dead, has no idea that they're happily married, and one day she asked the magic mirror, I guess she waited 10 years for no reason, <laughs> she asked the magic mirror who's the fairest <laughs> in the land again, and the mirror says, oh, there's a bride of a prince who's fairer than she, and she figures out that that's Snow White, so she goes there to try and kill Snow White, and the prince, now her husband of 10 years, um, is furious as, you know, somebody trying to kill her wife, and he... Um, orders the queen to wear a pair of red-hot iron slippers and to dance in them until she drops dead. And then their their marriage peacefully continues. So, I don't know necessarily if that's a lesson, but it's definitely different. Yeah, it doesn't seem to... Because again, if, if, we're, if we're assuming Snow White is the main character, she doesn't have to do anything again. <laughs> All she has to do is sit there until the queen shows up and she's like, I'm really upset by this. And... Then the prince is like, hey, I understand that, but put on these shoes and then dance until you die. And she's like, okay, you got it because you're the prince. Like there's no – like so again, maybe this is just a product of like – maybe this is a cultural thing that you and I aren't going to get because we're not 17th century German people uh, or whatever these came out. So News to me. <laughs> when, oh, not – well, I was way too early. 19th century. Uh, so maybe we're just not going to get like – Whatever the point, if you will, like like whatever the, the 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 sort of unless we decide to go back to Northwestern and take a German literature class, um, uh, maybe we're just not going to understand that. Yeah, there doesn't seem to be a lesson here, or like a a uh, a, a product of character arc and growth, and that's actually a product of this genre and a product of this particular literary form, and that's not actually the point. And the point is X. I don't know what X is, Which, but that's like, my current sure. guess. It's probably that's true. my current probably guess. Else. Versus, versus, I feel like you know, I, I think uh, a lot of sort of modern Disney, especially, is very Aesop's fable-y. Like it is very, you can track like, okay, here's the. Pro- they've talked about it before, where like you know the Disney songs, where it's like, ah, here's the song about what their problem is. And the thing they're going to have to learn. And then here's the villain song that's a foil to that. And now here's the song that tells you they've wrapped it up. And you can sort of track like, okay, here's what they need to learn. And in these cases, maybe it's just not that, which is interesting. I don't know. Um, hmm. Well, look at us. This isn't, you know what? We should get tax credits. This is an educational this is, podcast. I personally feel like we're fantastic. Um, I, so, I, so when I was watching this movie, I was like, all right, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to be a real intellectual about this. I'm going to take some notes. I'm going to come up with a thesis. I'm going to write some, some really clever thoughts. I'm going to write mm-hmm. some quotes. Didn't do any of that. I did, however, write one thing in my phone that I'm looking at right now. And I realized I did write one thing and it's just, it's just so stupid that I'm going to read it out. The only thing that I wrote in my phone throughout the entire movie it was, and it, to be clear, a movie that I loved. It was, why doesn't the evil queen just straight up murder Snow White at this point? Girl, pull out your bare hands. C'est pas si difficile. Elle fait tout ça seulement pour le drame. So at some point I decided that I had to rant in two separate languages. Sure, I was that annoyed. of course. Yep. This is where Shalila flex her, her I, I watched capabilities the movie on this podcast. coming out of me. 
Oh, you watched it in French? Yeah, I watch I watch all streaming content in French. Like any, oh anything on Netflix. Oh my god. Wow. All right. I've been doing well, this for years. <laughs> here comes friggin' trilingual oh, you whatever don't? quadlingual you don't, you don't watch, oh, you don't order your groceries in Polish? What are you what are you talking about? Come on. <laughs> You're the worst. <laughs> Oh, man. So you're telling me when you read poetry, well, it's not in, in in the old script of Korean? You don't read it in Hanja? Wow. Wow. Um, All right, what a life everybody. you must lead It's time to shine. <laughs> yep. See, here, here's what I'm getting at. I am the person, like, I would believe that Shalila actually did read a copy of the original Brothers Grimm Bavarian German <laughs> scroll and is like, well, actually, here's what the thing... Versus my, you know, I'm just watching the Disney film over and over going, I think I understand. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wow. It's a lot more entertaining in French. You should watch it in French. Let's do it for I, fun. See, I would, but I guess, well, here's the thing. I've seen them so many times. I guess there's really no reason for me to watch them in English. Yeah, you just know what it like all, I, Also, nobody speaks in this movie. There's like 12 lines. And, and yeah, the there course, really is very little dialogue. Yeah. Uh, it, just wait until you hit Sleeping Beauty. The movie is remarkably quiet. Uh, Damn. Interesting. Well, I will have to keep that in mind for the next one, which I think is... Fantasia, Dumbo, uh, one of the two. Pinocchio, maybe. Uh, watch it and oh, watch it in its native exciting. tongue, whatever it is. I will watch not it in be Italian. Doing that. That's not good. It's simply not. <laughs> I'll just, I'll just, I'll just scroll through the languages. There's Dutch. Dutch is on there on Disney Plus. Throw that in for fun. Of course, yeah. Well, uh, here's the only other. Here's the last thing I want to say about Snow White before we go back to your parents' point. If you, if you don't have anything else for us. No, nothing else. Um, here is an important aspect of its legacy I think that we should talk about. Three things. Number one, it is currently listed as the most uh, – it is named as the the uh, uh, greatest American animated film of all time by the American Film Institute as of 2008, and I don't think they've updated it since then. I don't know if I 100% agree with that, but – it is on the list, uh, and it has been uh, it has been um, put in the National Film Registry as like a culturally, historically, aesthetically significant movie by Congress. It's in the hundred greatest American films of all time, etc. I guess I get it for the cultural impact. I will give it that. I just think there's been better animated movies since then. I'm just saying Shrek Two exists. That's it. That's it. Um, <laughs> The ghost of Disney just reached up and wrapped his hands around my throat. Um, here is the the other two important aspects of his legacy I think are worth mentioning. One, it is still one of the highest grossing films of all time, uh, adjusted for inflation. Like, it, it's still, if I remember right, it's like number two uh, in, in the U.S. Like, I think something just finally beat it. Maybe Endgame, maybe... I don't know, Avatar, one of the new Star Wars, something like that. But but it's it's uh, it was the number one spot for a long time when you adjust for inflation, um, which I feel like says something. Like that's a that is a uh, obviously like a a signal of just how uh, absurdly popular this movie was. That it it doesn't really ring the same way now. But like in order to understand that, if you adjust for inflation, just imagine that it was so. So uh, well received. And number three, I think this movie was very much the 
I don't know anything about the actual story or, or the actual business decisions, so I could be talking on my ass. But I think it's important to note that this movie was Disney's first merchandise monster. Uh, following the release, they sold hats, dolls, uh, glasses, and garden seeds, which I thought was interesting. The merchandise sales generated $100 million adjusted for inflation. So $100 million in current money worth of merchandise, which is, like, that's a fair amount for current merchandise. That's cars money. <laughs> so cars money. I, I can't <laughs> help but think that that, you know, part of me is like, uh, Walt was, Walt, I call him Walt like we were best friends. Walt yeah. Disney was obsessed Walt. with making this movie famously. He, like, mortgaged his house to do it. His whole family, including his wife, was like, don't do this this is not gonna work it's gonna be a huge mistake uh he had a mortgage his house everything like that like i part of me imagines that at this when this movie came out he must have felt so proud and so like i told you guys so and then a year later he got the check for the merchandise and part of me says this is the birth of the modern Walt Disney Corporation, right? <laughs> like, in other words, like, the first be. year is, like, we artistically did something. I received an Oscar for it, uh, uh, you know, this amazing work of art. And then he got a check for 1937's worth $8 million, which is $100 million today. I was like, oh, okay, well, put up a theme park, man. <laughs> like, let's get this shit going, you know? Like, I... <laughs> I just I can't help but think that there's a degree to which this movie was such an artistic venture, but then it was a merchandise monster, and I that that must have rang to people, yeah. even maybe Walt, but I'm thinking people other than him as well, of saying like, oh, okay, we can do something with this then. Like the 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 artistic side officially goes into the number two slot because my God, is that a lot of money? That's my guess. No facts, just guess. If you wanna, if you yeah. ever want the motivation to become one of those Puritans who's like the modern generation sucks <laughs> and we need a new plague, you just have to think about how we started out at Snow White and we ended up at the Emoji Movie in terms of just. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yep. 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 Yeah, or that it took them fifteen years to make this movie, and uh, we had two Frozen's in less than ten years. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Uh. Yep. Okay, here's some other interesting things I think we should talk about very briefly. Uh, first, there was a live action adaptation of this that was supposed to happen. Not talking about Snow White and the Huntsman and not talking about Mirror Mirror. Uh, an actual Disney live action adaptation that was supposed to have... Um, uh, 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 what is his name? Mark Webb, I think, was the director um, who is the oh, guy behind 500 Days of Summer and Amazing Spider-Man. Yeah. Uh, and that was delayed due to covid no. uh it was supposed to be it was supposed to begin filming in vancouver in march and it was delayed due to covid uh prior to that there was a f uh uh spin-off live action film that was supposed to be told from the perspective of her sister red rose which is another fairy tale and i've never understood I truly don't get it. There's two different Brothers Grimm fairy tales that both involve the character Snow White, and she's two different people. They're not related, but they're both called Snow White. Wow. And, Nola and one of them is called team. Snow White and Red Rose. So this was going to be a live-action spinoff in which it's told from her sister, and it was supposed to have Brie Larson as Red Rose. So Interesting. 
there's that. Uh, that's it. Those are the only two interesting things. Yeah, I mean, so, we already have Midnight Sun of the Twilight series. I don't think we need another one. It's okay. We're yeah, good. I think we're good. <laughs> we're good on Here's what I want to get back to. Um, related to what you said about your parents at the beginning of this podcast. And this, uh, unless you have anything else to bring up, I think this is maybe I, I a good place just, to I end it. I don't to bring Go up, but I am going to tie a nice little bow by by giving our, our by being the educational podcast that we are and giving our listeners some, like yeah. a little slice of history that I think is beautiful. Um, I've started doing this. I think I think I like to find a little quote that that reflects how this movie was re- received at the it. time. So I'm going to read out a very short quote from the Variety review of this movie that they published on December 28th, 1937. So just after the movie came out, basically. Variety's reviewing been around for a lot mm. longer than I thought. Isn't that wild? I, I it sounds it has the name of a BuzzFeed like publication. Yeah, I thought so, it was around for like thirty years. Anyway, go I, ahead. I was shocked. Um, but here's what they had to say about Snow White, which I think appre- helps you appreciate why it's one of the highest grossing films of all time. Um, they said, "So perfect is the illusion, so tender the romance and fantasy, so emotional are certain portions when the acting of the characters strikes a depth comparable to the sincerity of human players that the film approaches real greatness." Wow. Yeah. No one said that about the Emoji movie. Uh, To my knowledge. (laughs) I like it. So here's how I want to end this and to actually kind of bring it back. It's a big question. This is going to be a a big, high-level question for you. I'm going to frame the question in a very unhelpful way, but it's to get my point across. Does it matter that we are doing this? Here's what I mean by that. Here's what I mean by that. Other than like an existential, does any of this matter? Here's here's what I mean by that. What you just told me, I think is very true of most people. Um, uh, When I mean just, I mean at the beginning of the podcast. You told me that your parents would not be able to identify this as a Disney movie. Or The Little Mermaid. Or insert thing here. I'm sure they must know what Disney is. There's just no way. It's impossible in today's world, I think, to not know Disney as a concept. But I don't think that is rare. I have many, many, many adult contemporary, my contemporaries, friends, who similarly, if I say, hey, have you watched the Marvel movies? And they go, no, there's way too many. Uh, Isn't the Tobey Maguire one one of them? And then also there was the ones with Patrick Stewart. Like, they will be talking about every other film that isn't the Marvel Cinematic Universe, including DC movies, which to me, as a person who keeps track of all these things, is like, how could you ever be confused? And I think the same thing about animation, like, mostly because I'm a dork. Like, I know what movie, like, in my head right now, I'm like, okay, here's Blue Sky Animation's, uh, uh, you know, pile of movies, and here's Illuminations, and here's Warner Brother Animations, and here's Leica's, and here's Disney's. Um even as small as Disney Pixar, right? In my head, like I'm very adamant, like, no, that's a Pixar movie, not a Disney movie. I understand it's owned by Disney, but you can tell the difference versus friends will be like, it doesn't matter. It's the same thing, which instantly makes me want to throw up. But Mm. (laughs) I'm like, well, this doesn't matter. And I know that I don't need to complain about it. So I'm not going to. But here's my question. Why is it like, does it matter? I guess this is what I'm getting at. But you and I are currently set out on a venture to watch all of the Disney movies in this chronological order because you haven't really been exposed to them and I am way too obsessed with them and I think it'll be interesting. But here's my question. 
does it actually matter to anybody because that we're only doing Disney? Because if I were to tell somebody mm. what we're doing and I were to say, uh, uh, today's movie is Moana and the next movie is The Minions, they'd be like, wow, all the Disney movies, great. <laughs> like, Right. But I, but I guess the reason I'm asking this is because part of me says it does. I do think there's differences. There's, I think there are really tangible, like palpable artistic differences between these companies and what they tend to produce in the same way that I don't, I, maybe this is too drastic of a jump, but in the same way that it's pretty obvious when you're watching like a Spielberg movie and when you're watching a movie by literally anybody else, like uh, 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 here's a movie. movie. By who? Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Here's here's a Ryan Coogler movie. Here's a, a, a Sophia for uh, 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 Sophia Coppola movie, right? And I think it would be pretty absurd to say to anybody. Well, I mean, it's basically the same thing. No, <laughs> like I don't like I, I how in what world? And I understand there's a difference because they're not directors; they're production companies, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I don't know. There's just something about this that feels wrong to me. However, it is such a popular viewpoint that I cannot, I think it's important to bring up. And I would like to ask you what you think about this. Does it matter that we're only doing Disney? If we put in DreamWorks, would anyone care? Would they even notice? Or is there a is there an actual artistic reason? Is there a valid reason for criticism for why we should keep them separate? Man, I... I sure hope so, because I feel the same way that you do, which is that it, I, I would try to tear my hair out if somebody started suggesting that it makes no difference what company these are from, especially when you think about some of the companies, I would say arguably all companies put a lot of effort into specifying and cementing an artistic vision, but imagine watching any film and being like, I don't care if it's Leica, Leica cares that it's Leica, because Leica puts right. in a lot of effort to be Leica, and right. I think that it, I completely agree with you, that I think it's the same thing, that like, you can't just watch any movie and be like, I don't know if Jordan Peele did that. I would know if Jordan Peele did that and it should matter to <laughs> right. you. So I, I feel the same way and I know what you're saying in terms of like, it's not quite the same thing. Obviously it's not. It's it's a semi-parallel. They are production companies. are not a single person with a live action vision or anything yep. or a directorial style. However, I think that uh, that is made up for in the fact that animation is, is, is different, right? It's a different medium, which means that these companies put so much effort into selecting and curating the people behind the vision in a, in a way that translates the same amount of care that a director or a producer puts into their films. Like, I do think it's the same thing. And I, as a person who, again, doesn't have that much knowledge, honestly, about all these old Disney movies or any of the history, and I'm just learning all of it now, um, I still think it's, it's important to me in my head for that distinction to exist. Um, I don't think that I don't think that there's no value in caring about just how it is. Now, I think there's two, apart from what I've said, there's two other things, two other reasons for that. The first one is it has simply gone on for far too long that there is this derision of animation as a concept that we keep talking about that everyone's like, it's for kids. That's not true. You just don't care yeah. or you don't want to care. And I, I, not to make any blanket statements, but slightly to make a blanket statement, I don't believe that anybody can generally just dislike animation i just think that you haven't given it the time of day and you haven't and or you haven't seen the right ones 
I, I don't think that that's an opinion that you can have. <laughs> that's, that's so silly. The animation is amazing. It's not just for kids. So in that sense, I think it, it's very important for us to do this because it lends legitimacy to the artistic visions behind these animation production companies because they are a very real piece of art and not just like Disney is a multinational whatever corporation. Like it's an important part of of the history of a very specific art form that deserves respect and more respect than it gets. And the second thing is that I think that now that these corporations are, are you know, kind of just, you have all these expectations, right? Like an Illumination movie comes out and the first thing you talk about is not, wow, what a what a tale to adapt. You're like, okay, how much money is this going to make? Where are they releasing it? What is the merch going to be like? You know, like, oh, oh, I can't believe they got Sofia Vergara to voice that character. I feel like that character is just so much shorter. Like all these weird things that you talk about where now movies are just so much more about the commercial aspects that I think it's important to take a step back and think about how their whatever 100 plus years or 50 plus years of history have shaped their storytelling instincts. Because that sure does exist like like you said there's distinct differences if you're you know obsessed in any way like we are with these companies and how they tell their stories like they really are just different like even disney and pixar the way they tell their stories are so different um and i think it's important to look at this history in a longitudinal historical sense to understand how they got to where they are from where they started so that's my answer okay so i i completely agree with you that was so succinctly said uh I have a follow-up question as my final thing. Do you think the level to which this matters is beginning to change as a product of possible homogeneity? So, for example, I don't know... I don't know if you'd agree with this. I don't think I've ever said this out loud to you. I think Onward was the Disneyest film that Pixar has ever made. And I'm very curious to see if I were to take out the title cards and not show anybody the the thing and, and pick people who had never seen them. If I were to take How to Train Your Dragon, if I were to take Onward, um, whatever, uh, uh, Wreck-It Ralph, let's pick something that maybe isn't as, as immediately obvious, maybe Big Hero 6, uh, and, uh, you know, Hotel Transylvania, pick one of the Illumination ones, and put them all up. So, you know, all things that came out in the, let's say, the back half of the 2010s. Do people, can you tell the difference? Like, uh, I guess what I'm getting at is I completely agree with you as far as, let's say, the totality of these companies' histories. Do you think it still matters? Do you think it's mattering less? I I, I guess what I'm getting at is I, I have a little bit of a suspicion that due to the overwhelming dominance of disney and of the i really wish i had better language to describe animation i always call it cgi which doesn't make sense but they basically 3d modeled animation a la what what despicable me looks like and what moana looks like everything else as opposed to duty like princess and the frog i think the overwhelming dominance of that artistic style of that particular aesthetic and of the merchandisability, yep, going to stick with it, of that aesthetic has made it so that these movies are beginning to converge in a way that I don't know if they used to. And that makes me wonder whether or not it still matters. Does it matter that DreamWorks and Disney are still different or that Disney and Pixar are different anymore? Or is it more of like a, in other words, 
is it more useful to say the animation of the big houses as opposed mm-hmm. to Leica, as oh. opposed to Ghibli, as opposed to insert like a smaller or more genre focused house here rather than say what used to be, you could say a Don Bluth production versus a Disney production versus dreamish production. Does that not matter anymore? That's what I'm going to throw to you as my final question. I think I think you said it. I think I think it first off, obviously, it matters to people who want it to matter. Like it's always going to matter to us, yeah. for example. Yep. Um, and that's <laughs> that's just a thing because we're we're very strangely <laughs> obsessed with these things. Yep. Um, and yeah, it's I don't think it's a like I think it's a crime to hate animation just point blank. I don't think it's a crime not to care about this. It's fine. Yeah. If that's just not up your alley, that's fine. Um, yeah. <laughs> again, we are very strange people. But I I agree with you that I think that I think first off, it has kind of become big houses versus others and how they choose to distinguish themselves um i think that's very very interesting um because of just how commercialized big houses are these days um that you expect at some point some of the product of what they create is going to kind of be comparable like at some point you just you're just comparing whether like the minions or like frozen has been a bigger hit in terms of merch right it's probably the minions and i hate them both so it's I, i do think it's very interesting that it does it has kind of become that distinction of like, are you bothering to stand out or do you just want to be one of the big ones or you know, there's pros and cons on either side. Um, I don't know. I, I, I do think it's, I do think it's still worth analyzing how they tell their stories because there's probably some crumbs of distinction. And I, I would hope that at least at some point now that they're all kind of realizing that they're converging a little, though, maybe this is some kind of, this is a, like a shot in the dark prediction, but they'll maybe start doing some things to continue to differ, differentiate themselves. Um, I don't know. I think I, things will happen. I agree. In the near future. I'm with you. But I think they've, I think I, we've I, hit the peak yeah. of them coming so close together that they have to start just pushing away really hard now. I would think so too. I mean, I, the, the only man, I don't want to end this podcast on a down note, but the only thing that worries me about that is, acquisitions right like in other words we used to have blue sky and then disney bought up fox and that means that we lost a house like it's not that they don't still exist and as far as i know they're still operating my guess is they're probably made to be putting out either sequels or um video on demand uh, uh productions of whatever they currently are making you know whatever they're the the ice age mini series or whatever the hell disney requires of them but it means we lost a house so I, I'm with you. I, part of me says you're going to have to start differentiating because at a certain point uh, you're you're making too much of the same product and they're going to want something different. But at the same time, if there's only three houses, maybe they don't need to. There's no competition. Like m- animated movies make so much money because they cost very little to produce in comparison to other movies. And the, the merchandising output is absurd. So I don't know. Part of me worries about that. Of like, maybe they don't need to. Maybe they're perfectly happy all being one step different than each other. And and they know that it's not actually competition. People are still going to pay to see the three animated movies a year that come out and that'll be it. Um, I hope that's not the case. Um, but I think, let me, let, me, let me save this. Here we go. Pull out of the dive. <laughs> I think it is still worth exploring these as different uh, houses of animation, both as Big House to Little House, uh, Disney, Pixar, uh, Universal, Warner Brothers versus Leica, and individual houses. 
because I do think there are interesting distinctions that suggest something about the way they view what animation is. Where Disney is still, for the most part, making fairy tales. They're still, some of them are modern. Some of them are using video games or superheroes rather than the the hero's journey of a princess. But they're still making like fairy tale stories, essentially. Um, Pixar is still doing whatever the hell it is they do. I've never been able to really pin it down. Creating and I, You and I talked about this. Yeah, you and I talked about this on the Pixar podcast. I think you talked about that, of, of basically creating these little individualized worlds, which I thought was fascinating. Um, I personally think Warner Brothers has, Warner Brothers Animation Group has tapped into this very interesting little node of, of nostalgia in a way that the others haven't, where their biggest hits have been like Captain Underpants, uh, the, the Peanuts movie, the Lego movie, Things that are sort of tapping into a childhood that is relatively newer, I think, for our generation. And isn't, it's not like full nostalgia porn per se, but it's also not fairy tales. It's also not as commercial as what I think Universal is doing with Illumination, where their songs are completely pop song heavy, right? With, with all of them. I, I don't, I don't know if they make trolls or not, to be honest, but at least, uh, Sing and the Despicable Me's and things like that. They're very poppy. Um, they seem to be more interested in sort of the commercial aspect of things that they know kids are going to enjoy. It almost feels more intentionally marketed. And again, I'm trying not to assign value judgment to this. I just think it's, that seems to be their, their bid. And then there's DreamWorks and I've, I don't know what DreamWorks is doing ever. I, I just never fundamentally, and they're <laughs> always doing the whole spectrum of stuff and I've never understood it and whatever, it seems to work. So I think it's worth exploring and understanding that they're different for those reasons. Uh, but maybe our listeners disagree and I would love for you to tweet at us and tell us if you do. That's a segue, ladies and gentlemen. Fantastic. Look at that. Yep. The voice of a <laughs> professional. Yep. Uh... So that was our Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs podcast. Um, our first entry in what we hope is a little Disney sub-series, mini-series we'll be doing intermittently throughout our, our regular episodes. Uh, so the next one on our list, which again, this isn't necessarily going to be every week. Who knows? We, we do this by year. We'll figure it out. Yeah. But the next movie on the list is going to be Pinocchio. I'm going to break a rule and I'm going to prime you for something already because what oh. I want, I would love for you to watch this movie with the following thematic in mind. So if you, uh, you know, write this down in your brain, whatever you need to do, but I would like, I would, I, I'm telling you right now, this is going to be the primary focus of our episode next time. Why is Pinocchio so obsessed with butts? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know where that was going. Yep. I didn't expect that. I, I don't All mean right. the character. I mean the movie. Why oh. Oh, even is better. the movie Pinocchio so obsessed with butts? I watched this movie as an adult for the first time like two years ago. I hadn't seen it since I was a kid, and I couldn't stop thinking about it. It is so rampantly chock full of butt imagery. Humor drama imagery little background thing why i can't 
I can't wrap my head around it. I tried. <laughs> and I really, I put my full critic brain to work. awfully specific. I'm Couldn't figure it out. So excited. that is what I would like you, if possible, to go into when you watch if Pinocchio possible. for our next it episode is what the hell is going on with all the butts? And I'm going to just spoil it for everyone for next time. Uh, please look forward to our Pinocchio episode in which we will explore why the movie Pinocchio is obsessed with butts. Um, yeah. Until then, uh, this has been great. I'm very glad we're doing this. I'm excited for this journey. You can follow along uh, with our podcast and this particular sub-series on Twitter at AYSWpod, uh, as well as on Patreon, uh, which I think is just patreon.com slash AYSW, I think. Um, it sure is. And that's probably the best place to find us. You'll also find all of our fun links there, including our Twitters. Uh, so I think that's that. Any final notes for us, Shalila? Yeah, that's all we got. I'm very excited about this butt thing, though. Yeah, so is Pinocchio. <laughs> and with that, oh God. we'll sign off. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for listening. Look forward Thanks to all. In- inevitably butt-themed episode. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>